Welcome to part two of episode 21 of Where's My Sports At? Your weekly dose of sports talk made for the fans, by the fans. Today's podcast is the final instalment of a two-part series where James and Phil continue their conversation with Kiwi basketball legend Dylan Belcher. Coming back to New Zealand, all of a sudden we've got a professional team in the Aussie competition. Mind-blowing for New Zealand, never thought that would ever happen, and here it is. So you had two stints at the breakers. What was it like, firstly, having to leave the breakers? And then what was it like having to play against the breakers? Yeah, well, obviously it's ironic that we talk about the World Cup first because that actually spearheaded the breakers starting. And it was Jeff Green's, you know, probably pipe dream was to get a professional team on the back of that success and and on the fanfare in New Zealand. So, but those early years didn't go to plan for the breakers. Uh, we thought thought they were going to go well, well they didn't. Um, leaving the breakers was was the worst, probably still the worst part of my career to this day. Like I I didn't want to leave um, the team. We sucked. We had two years of being really bad, and um, there was cho- coaching changes. Um, you know, I'm the sort of person that if I don't think something's good, I'm going to speak up about it. And I spoke up about it. And it, to be fair, it probably backfired on me. Um, I spoke up to management that I didn't think that the current coach at the time was right and that we, you know, we we could do better if we had had a better coach. And I didn't do it in a disrespectful way. I did it behind closed doors um, with the ownership group at the time. Um, unfortunately, that all kind of backfired and it got back to the coach. And so he benched me and, um, you know, it all, all turned pear-shaped for me. And the frustration was building in that that second year. And when the um, when they hired Andre Lamanis for the third year of the Breakers' existence, Andre Lamanis, I remember catching up with him and he asked me a lot about why I went to the ownership against the coach and and I gave him all my honest answers and you know he finished that conversation saying I'm glad you were honest with me and you know and, and I didn't think he held it against me at all and um before I knew it um they were they were telling me they were going to resign me um and it, and I was sitting there just kind of waiting and they were saying we just got to sign a couple other players and I understood where I was in the pecking order. I wasn't the superstar. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. And then they turned around and um, and went on a tour. And I, and I can't remember where they went on a tour to. They went somewhere. And I didn't get named in the team to go on the tour. And I was thinking, if you're about to sign me, surely I would go on the preseason. And this was like, we're talking, you know, really late. Like the season's only about to start in like, you know, two months time. And they picked this team to go and play in a tournament. And I don't get picked in it. So I got my agent to contact them and say, well, what's going on? And they said, oh, no, we're still kind of thinking about it. And then like two weeks later, they dropped the bomb and said, oh, we've decided we're going to go in a different direction. And so I was, man, I was heartbroken. And then, and I was even more heartbroken because it was a club I'd poured my heart and soul into and one was one of the founding um, members that they'd signed. And, you know, thinking two years earlier, we were celebrating having a brand new franchise in New Zealand. And then two years now, I'm told I'm not wanted on that team after, you know, and, you know, pouring my heart and soul to the club. Um, so that was really hard. Uh, but I understood it was a business. Uh, I said to my agent, find me another team. And to be honest, the only other team that had a roster spot was Perth. Um, so I had to end up going and playing in Perth and I didn't really want to go and play in Perth. Um, you know, for me, it was like I wanted to be a wanted to be a breaker for for my whole career. Um, I went and played for Perth and had a reasonably good season in Perth. And um, and from that moment, I was kind of like, um, you know, I'm never going to play for the Breakers again. They'd kind of burnt me. 
um, didn't want me. I felt outcasted from the organisation. Uh, at that time, new ownership, the Blackwells had taken ownership of the team. And I was hearing all this because, again, Paulie was one of my good mates and was still playing for them. He was telling me everything's changed. You'd love it now. You know, the new ownership's great and got this great culture. And, but they were still losing games. And I was, and, and Perth, we'd made the playoffs that year. Breakers had in, and I was kind of like, well, I'm in a team that's got a chance of winning a championship. So I was happy. Um, then I got heavily recruited to go to Brisbane the following year. And it was a tough decision. Um because Perth had offered me, you know, a lot to stay there and they liked me and, you know, we really liked Perth, but Brisbane was a, was a little step closer to home. We knew we'd have more visitors if we were in Brisbane. Um, so I chose to play for Brisbane. Um, and, you know, that was, um, we ended up winning the championship that year. A star studded team. We went 21 games undefeated throughout the season. Um, you know, had some of my fondest memories as a basketball player on that team. Just was a fun season with, really really talented players on the team um and you know some some still say that team is the the greatest team in nbl history but i'm sure plenty of people disagree with that statement but i would go with that statement and, and agree with it um and then um spent two seasons there and then at the end of that season um the breakers actually wanted to recruit cj bruton at the time um who was my teammate and uh cj said to the breakers at the time um you know like if you want me to come back you need to offer a contract to Dylan as well because, you know, he wants to be back in New Zealand. And sure enough, you know, the phone rang and they wanted me back. And, you know, I was excited. And I was trying to play hardball, to be fair. I was trying to play hardball like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to go back. And then my wife was like, we're going home. If they make us an offer, we're going home. So, um, you know, it was a pretty simple decision in the end. And and glad we did. Glad we decided to come home and um, came back and again was playing for Andre Lamanis, the coach who essentially not wanted me. Um, and, um, you know, we got CJ Bruton signed <clears throat> a year later, Mika Vakona came back and then obviously we started, uh, started our three peak kind of journey. And, um, I remember after the first championship, Andre Lamanis came up to me and kind of acknowledged that he'd made the wrong call letting me go. And that was as a player, that's all I wanted to hear, you know, was the, the guy he didn't really. Wasn't really admitting he'd made a mistake, but he was like, you know, we we probably should have had you here the whole time, you know, kind of thing. And that was for me, that was the the moment where I was like, I'm definitely in the right place here. And playing in front of your home fans is is just nothing better. Even though it's still a club team and I enjoy playing for Perth and Brisbane, playing in New Zealand for New Zealand is it always feels like you're representing your country, even though it's just a club team. So for me, playing for and home court for the breakers was really where I wanted to be. And the hardest thing for me was when I'd come back and play in the breakers, I would get booed in my in my home stadium, you know, because people thought I'd turn my back on the breakers. Mm. And it's because I always never I never have my ear my dirty laundry in the in the media. So no one actually knew the true story of what happened. Everyone just saw me go and play for another team and thought that I'd chosen to go and play for another team. So I would have people that were, you know, that were my fans in the stands and I would see them booing me and, and you know, like yelling stuff to me. And I'm like, you were cheering for me last year, you know. Mm. Um, that's where I realized that professional basketball is people were just loyal to their clubs, not the person. And I had the same thing happen when I left Perth as well. That And I and I chose to leave Perth, so I understand it from their point of view. Um, when I went in there with, you know, playing for Brisbane, I had guys that literally used to hold up a Dylan Boucher fan club sign, literally like – giving me the fingers while I'm doing warm-ups, you know, like it's crazy, you know, like it's, it's, it's actually just unbelievable. But um, yeah, so that was kind of my journey in the in professional basketball was, but I'm glad I came home and obviously the breakers, we had a lot of success and again, had a very, very good team. 
or teams that we had throughout those years and had some great success. Touching on that, how good was that three-peat? I mean, a three-peat in any sport is pretty magical, but you said the Brisbane Bullets team was the best of all time. Could you put one of those three-peat Breakers teams in that conversation as well? I think easily, yeah. I mean, that, those teams were really good. Um, and again, really well coached. Andre Lamanis did a good job with that group, had recruited well um, against superstars and role players. And, you know, I think when I think back to those breaker days, you know, we we built everything on culture. It was all about culture. Whereas Brisbane, we had a great culture, but it was all built on we had we had studs. We had dudes who could just put the ball in the hoop. And at any moment, if we needed defense, we'd sub in our defensive guys that could get stops and if we needed a bucket, we could put it in CJ Bruton, Ebiara, Sam McKinnon's hands, and they'd get us a bucket. Um, we had a bit of that in the breakers as well, but it was more built on culture and what we stood for. Um, and we, our backbone was was the culture of the group um, and the family environment that the Blackwells had created at the at the breakers. So um, I would probably um, say my time playing at the breakers, um, even though it was towards the end of my career, was, was some again some of the fondest memories I have playing basketball, just because it was fun. You know, we we battled hard at training, but we went in and we we beat we beat you know teams on a regular basis, and we we had a swagger and a belief with that group that we could beat anyone anytime. So they had to they had to match us. It wasn't like we need to pick our game. Like when we were going to World Cups, we knew we had to play our best to beat someone. When we were in the breakers, teams had to play their best to beat us. And that was we were kind of we were the we were going in knowing we were the favorites, walking into every venue, you know, with some swagger that we believed that we were we were going to beat their team. And um that's a cool feeling when you're on a team like that where you know everyone's got each other's backs and yeah, that was a fun group to be a part of. Yeah, fond memories of those Perth Wildcat battles and that three yeah. deep man, that that was they were so brutal. I feel like was it was it three years in a row or was Perth versus the Breakers in the finals? I don't know Definitely if it was. Two. So the first yeah. year was Cairns. We beat Cairns in oh, the yeah. yeah. Taipans, yep. Yeah, but we but we beat um, the Wildcats in the semis then. And that was a, yeah. you know, that was a, the first time. Um, I think Kirk Penny had 40 in the in the semifinal game decider and Mick of Akona wasn't even supposed to play the game. He was on one leg and he played, you know, played on one leg basically. And he finished with something like 15 rebounds on one leg. He couldn't, mm. I was his roommate. He couldn't even walk. And he went for this fitness test before the game. And I was, I was in my mind, I was preparing to play like heavy minutes because we shared positions. And I was like, if Mick is out, I'm going to have to play big minutes in this game. And he comes back in. He's like, I'm playing. I was like, why? You, you can't even walk. Like, <laughs> and he played and he played one of the best games he's ever played. And it just, you know, that's, that's his legend status right there. He's, yeah, that, that hard work beats talent. Not to say that he, he wasn't talented, but yeah, that's, you're finally retiring with 429 caps of the New Zealand NBL. How hard was that for you? It was, it was hard. You know what? Um, had I not had to work a normal job, I reckon I could have played for another, you know, three, four. I, I mean, I still love playing now. Like, I really didn't want to retire, but. I was I wasn't able to stay in the shape that I wanted to be in to play because I didn't have the time to put in because I was working a full time job. If I was still full time professional, if I'd earned the money that you know some of the guys, to be honest, are earning these days, I probably could have played a little bit longer in New Zealand. Um, I wanted to finish up at retiring for the breakers at my in my kind of like not my prime, but you know where I feel like I hadn't overdone it, and I felt like I mean I I finished my career on that third three peak championships. So that was the perfect way to go out. And it was 
And it was always, I'd planned that the whole year that I was retiring that year. So it wasn't like I decided that, you know, we've won three, I'm going to bail out. It was, it was that, that I knew my time was that I couldn't be the best player I could be. New Zealand NBL, because it's a step down, I knew I could continue playing. And, but I, I, again, I finished and I'd gone into an office job and, you know, I'd put on like 10 kilos. So I wasn't moving as freely. And, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I, I really should be in better shape to play in this league, but I was still, the team I was on, I was still starting and playing like 30 minutes a game. So, but I knew that there was, the time was right only because I, again, I couldn't dedicate as much time as what I wanted to, to be. And I thought if I'm the role model for these young guys and I'm not putting in the work, how do I expect them to put in the work? So for me, that's why I retired in the New Zealand NBL, because again, it was just becoming harder because I wasn't in the shape I needed to be in, um, you know, and, and it wasn't, you know, I would, my last season, I don't even remember putting ice on my body once. Like I, my body is good. Like even <laughs> to this day, I play on a Wednesday night in a social league. I don't do anything at any fast pace anymore. And it's it's probably the ugliest basketball you've ever seen. But <laughs> I don't finish being sore. Like I know a lot of guys are like, I can't, I can't even walk the next day. I don't have that. Like my body is, you know, has never been an athletic body. But I tell you what, it's it must be made with some really strong glue or something because it all just kind of seems to hang together and and I don't have that soreness and I always go if you don't jump you don't get injured so um, I've been fortunate enough to not have too many major injuries throughout my career doesn't blow your lungs as well exactly that ruins you (laughs) (laughs) and and that was what we're going to ask you next which is great you answered that ask you if you still hope so awesome mate Um, I love it I still love it I mean I'm a I'm a guy I think I'll just hoop till the wheels fall off you know like I really enjoy and the guys I play with are all um, kind of like older dudes and you know they all have played at some level and then we've got now got some young talent coming through on our team and you know now we're starting my son plays on our team we're starting to have um, you know Daryl Cartwright's son plays on the team it won't be long before Hayden Allen's son and, and, and BJ Anthony's son's on the team so all of our all of those guys on the team that have got kids, we we kind of want to keep playing to our kids join our team, and then eventually they'll bring their mates in, and it slowly will fall away. But um, it's pretty cool when you can run around on a on a court with your sons, and yeah, it's a pretty special moment. But that's that's so cool. Like I was just that, that's one question there. And me and Phil were talking about that yesterday about one of our dreams is to play with our kids one day. And it's great to hear you as a professional legend of the New Zealand game that's one of your aims it's so great you know playing with your kids um on a basketball court is you know that's to be honest that's that's bigger than all the stuff you know like just being able to do that and have some fun and have that connection together you know that's it's it's cool it's special um and, and something that you know I'm fortunate enough to have done um and will do for as long as I can do you still get in the minds of your opponents in 100%. Wednesday socials or are you or you, you sort of rein it in or are you still Stuck I'm probably them. I'm I probably still sometimes the fire sometimes still burns and um, not <laughs> yeah. as much I'm still a pest but I, don't, um, I still I don't um, I don't try and get in people's heads because I don't need any altercations when you're the CEO of basketball New Zealand <laughs> yeah, no. like no one needs that um, and so I don't I, I shy away from that side of it now where the physicality because physicality often there's always someone that doesn't like the physicality yeah, so now I just more play with my hands and just leave the physicality behind the big question that I've always wanted to ask you Dylan is the number 24 why the number 24 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, um, and there's not a huge significance behind it. Uh, you think there'd be this amazing science behind choosing a number. To be fair, my first ever jersey I played for um, and with Auckland was uh, I think it was number twenty or number twenty one, and it just it just didn't feel right having it. So um, I chose number twenty four, and and I jokingly said. Jordan's number 23 and I'm better than him, one better than him. So I'm going to be number 24. Um, I think in, in my era, everyone wanted number 23. And I knew if you were going to go to a team, you wanted a number where you're always guaranteed no one else had that number. And so I chose 24, um, ironically, just because I knew it was a number that would be available in, in any team I'd play on and, and cause everyone else would choose number 23. So not a huge significance behind it. Um, I guess later, um, later in my career, it probably had, had a little bit more significance. Uh, I was, um, I think I was 24 when I got married, you know, just little things like that. The number just kept popping up in my life and different things. And, and it wasn't, it was more, um, organic than it was planned. But yeah, there's no real reason behind it. But once you've had a number, I wanted to make sure I kept that number wherever I went. What's your vision for basketball in New Zealand? If I can ask sort of such a broad question like that. Yeah, 100%. So for me, um, you know, the game was really good to me. Um, I always go, I had a fantastic career. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed playing when I was younger. I had opportunities to play. Like I said, I played in a primary school league and I had rep basketball. I went, had New Zealand trials. I made a New Zealand team. I went away to World Cups. I went away to the Olympics, went away to the Commonwealth Games. The game was good to me. So my number one goal being the CEO of Basketball New Zealand is I want every kid that picks up a basketball to have a great experience within the sport, whether they make it to the Olympics or Commonwealth Games or World Cups are relevant or whether they even want to do that. It's the fact that the three of us on this call play social basketball and there's still an area, still somewhere we can go and play the game we love and it be a safe environment is exactly what I'm talking about. Is I want every kid that says to their parents, I want to have a go at basketball and they know you go down the road to that rec center or to that school or whatever it is and they have an opportunity to play. And they might be like me where they start falling in love with the game and decide they want to do it further and that there's a clear pathway that when they want to do it further, there's a clear pathway of how they do that or multiple pathways of that they can choose to go down that's going to take them to the to the promised land. And I think that's for me is I want to make sure that our game is designed for all, all abilities, all ethnicities, no barriers that anyone that wants to play basketball can go and play and there's somewhere they can go and play. How do you go about fulfilling that vision? Like, Do you have, without obviously going behind the scenes into your whiteboards at CEO and you know, at Basketball New Zealand office, like, you know, do you have sort of like a clear vision around the infrastructure, capability building and all that sort of thing? Yeah, what is really clear is um, is Basketball New Zealand as as an organisation can't do it on their own. We require all of our stakeholders to be good at what they do. Um, so the goal is to really build the capability within our associations in particular, but also create harmony within the basketball network. We have a lot of independent providers in basketball that are, you know, doing a great job and have a passion for the game. And we want to be able to, you know, work to be able to help bring them into the tent to ensure that what they're putting out there is exactly what we would want them to put out there, not going against what maybe we are trying to build. Um, so again, basketball is in a really good position because kids are kids are signing up left, right and centre. Everyone I speak to goes, my kid loves basketball and they love the NBA and they love this and they love that. And I go, that's awesome because that's how I started. I just I loved it. I can remember my parents bringing home a come fly with me, Jordan tape, and I was like, man, I want to be like Michael Jordan. You know, like that was 
that's the inspiration. And, and so we need to create, you know, a network of opportunities, but also role modeling is a, is a big one. Um, and again, you have to, you need local role modeling as well as international role modeling. So for us, we need to make sure that our Tall Blacks, Tall Ferns are, are role models for our next generation coming through. We need to make sure our NBL players and Toehi players are, are role models to be able to, so kids look at them and want to be like them. I mean, I started as a floor wiper as actually like, I didn't mention that earlier, but I was a floor wiper um, in New Plymouth and used to mop up sweat for, you know, your Byron Vitoes and Benny Anthony and Angelo Hill um, in the YMCA in New Plymouth. And that was, again, I remember sitting on the baseline watching these guys fly through the air thinking, man, one day if I can do that, that's so cool. So um, again, there's, we, we need every, every person in our network to be, you know, rowing in the same direction for our sport to continue to, to succeed. And that's the challenge for us at Basketball New Zealand is making sure that everyone's going in the same direction. Uh, we we have uh, we have a re- really clear vision of where we need to go, and we've we're right now we're trying to put as many hoops as we can around New Zealand. So if you haven't got an opportunity like me, and you don't have a hoop on your garage, you can go down to the local park or local school, and there'll be a hoop there that you can shoot on, and that's really important. That's brilliant to hear, Dylan, because you you are seeing the impact of that around around the country. Like wherever I've driven, you see a hoop up, and you're like, oh, that's popped out of nowhere, and that's awesome, mate. Such a Easy but great idea. Numbers in New Zealand basketball, they're at an all-time high. And just on behalf of myself and Phil and the Where's My Sports At crew and as well the country, mate, I know this is like big Nobel Prize type um, introduction again, but thank you for bringing the game that we love to all of us and all of us as fans in New Zealand. And I can't say thank you enough for what you've done and your commitment that you continue to show to New Zealand is it's just been such an honor to talk with you thank you so much oh my pleasure um like I say I love reminiscing I love talking about you know my journey because it hasn't been a hasn't been smooth sailing and there's you know we talk about a lot of successes there's been a lot of failures along the way too and you know, and and you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Without failure, you don't have success. So um, it's always good to share those journeys with people. And I'm a big advocate of our game. And any opportunity I can do to get to promote it, then you know I take that opportunity. So thank you guys for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Make sure there to follow us on our socials on where's underscore my underscore sports underscore at podcast. And also make sure there to send us a message and if you want to engage with us or have a chat with us or if you actually want to come along and join us on a podcast, send us a message. We'll happily have a chat with you and see where it goes.